Welcome to the Leadership After Hours podcast. Real talk with real leaders committed to creating better companies and a better world. Presented by Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits with your host, Sean Patton. We're so glad you found us here at the Leadership After Hours podcast. If you're finding value in this content, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're on. This helps us reach more people and spread the modern leadership movement. Also, you don't want to miss out on a single episode. So again, make sure you hit that subscribe button and share the Leadership After Hours podcast with your friends, your coworkers, and your family so we can push the movement of the modern leader forward. All right. Welcome to uh, part two with Amazon bestselling author uh, Vincent Chiano here. Um, and we, we talked you know, in our first part uh, of, of this, uh, you know, part one of two, about always forward your book about mm-hmm. uh, how your uh, organ donation story to your, right. your coworker's daughter and 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 so cool and how this sort of changed perspective and we sort of ran into talking about leadership and how that goes back to that and um you know y- you brought up a point about how leaders can see things from different perspectives right and and have that empathy and and that's why you know we hear over and over again. You know, kind of two points on that. I want to get your your take on this. One, we hear how you know EQ, how emotional intelligence is much is is a much bigger indicator of really kind of life success, especially for leadership over even IQ, right? And and it's that that human dynamic because uh, you know leadership is a uniquely human dynamic, right? Um, and then two, uh, I don't know if you've ever or listened to or know of a guy named Craig Gorshell. I don't. Okay, um, so. Uh, I plug another podcast here free, but um, so he, he has a leadership podcast and he is, he's the senior pastor of life church. It's like a big mega church, like yeah. 40 churches around the country. Ever. But I saw him speak live one time. But anyway, I, I think he, I think that's a great leadership podcast. It's one I've, I, I, I want to emulate. And uh, he, he wrote a small, like a mini book, if you will. And uh, I'm going to butcher the name of it, but it basically discussed, he did a study and what they found was great leaders have these dichotomies of extremes. So, you know, we almost think of like leaders need to be sort of measured and sort of in the middle. Sure. And he's like, actually what leaders have is the ability to be extreme in the right scenario. So like one example would be, um, they're like trusting great delegators, but they're also, also micromanagers, right? Yeah. How can you be both? Explain that to me. So exactly. So his, his point, um, was they have this breadth to, Hey, in this one moment, they know when they need to come down and step oh, foot okay, in. I and my, like, I'm going to no, know it needs to be exactly like this. I have this. I want boom. And then in, in one scenario, and then maybe in another group there, they can step back, let people, you know, try, fail, lead, delegate. So they know when to be, when, when to be what, when to be what. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember, there was like seven of these that were super interesting. And I really uh, resonated with that message as a leader myself. Cause I do feel that where, you know, Sometimes I need to be super high energy or sometimes maybe basically you need to be able to be able to be an extreme extrovert sometimes. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes you need to be focused and, and, and kind of not, and conserve your energy and be an introvert. So your ability to flex, but I think that that comes from having to use the muscle, you know, to your point to have to get a breath of experience, yeah. right. So that you can. And the more experience you get, whether that's culture or whether that's leading different organizations, talking to great people, the content you consume right. starts to open that aperture so that you're able to uh, up, know how to apply yourself in the most efficient manner. And you're and, and you become a bit of a 
a Swiss army knife with all these different tools and tricks and, you know, when to use them as opposed to, I'm just a chef's knife and I can do, you know, I can do a few things, but that's all I do, right? You need to almost right. have these different capacities as a, as a leader because people are so dynamic and groups are so dynamic. So, um, I don't know. How does that sit with you? Does that resonate or have you well, seen that or disagree or agree? Uh, no, I, I agree. I can't imagine being a leader without having a mentor mm-hmm. or a coach, which yep. we talked about yeah. and really for two reasons, but one, there's so much that comes with leadership mm-hmm. in terms of how you're going to be challenged. But to the perspective piece, I think that if you're a good leader, mm-hmm. it can be very lonely. We've yeah. talked about that because it's not necessarily in your best interest to always explain all of the different perspectives for why you make a decision. Mm-hmm. And only you can see them be- because you, you need to, mm-hmm. and then you have to make the best choice. So not having a mentor or a coach um, I, I just don't understand how people even do that, right? Because to some point, you we all need a little bit of a, val- a validation, as, especially for the people who care about being good leaders. Um, so is it a muscle? Definitely. It might, whatever's more than that, right? It's, it's kind of its own ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can find people like us who've glommed onto it. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but like, we, we pull it apart and we look at it from different directions and, you know, we've seen the rewards of it and we see the challenges of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it, I don't understand how anyone it's, it, it's, it takes a special person to become a leader with no mentorship, mm-hmm. um, you know, no coaching, things like that. And, and so I think that's what, why what you do is so valuable. Oh. Well, yeah, thanks. I think, and I agree. I mean, I have, I told you, I'm like, I have, I have a coach too. Right. You know? Exactly. And, and, and we all uh, crave coaching, and, right? Yeah. And, and, and a coach and, and a mentor, someone, um, you know, and, and it, it's interesting because, you know, I see entrepreneurs sometimes, especially business leaders, um, sometimes who don't maybe see things that way or don't, at least at first, um, most of them come around to it if they get up high enough, but, uh, but then if you look at something that is more sort of black and white or uh, in terms of like winning, not winning performance and that sort of thing more public, something like athletics, right. it's like, show me the athlete that, you know, is, is, is an elite athlete without a coach. Like that's right. not even like, that's, that's your point. It's not even possible. It's inconceivable. So, yeah, it's yeah. inconceivable. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, but you're going to figure out life right. without one. Oh, you're going to, you're going to run a, you're going to start a business where 80% of businesses fail without one. Oh, wow. you're going to run a company with a hundred million dollar budget without it. But this person needs one to learn how to like jump into sand really far. Yeah. (laughs) It's like crazy to even think That's how I was going to make the argument the other way that, you know, they can at least do their job by themselves, Mm -hmm. right? What you're hoping to build in a company is, is to influence other people to execute on your vision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't carry it out by yourself. So, you know, how people think that they're going to do this without leadership <laughs> coaching is, is nuts. And, yeah. you know, um, I've, uh, I'm in the middle of reading a book on influence right now. It's creatively titled influence, but, um, it, <laughs> Easy it, to find. yeah, Easy to find it, it talks, it talks about all the different types of influence. I don't know if you've heard this a lot lately, but people are talking about priming. Tony Robbins mm-hmm. has been talking about priming a lot mm-hmm. right now. That concerns me a little bit because I don't. That's not the type of leadership that I that I want. I, I want the type that you and I are talking about in terms of, you know, appealing to people's ability to have impact and purpose and help them see your vision, and then get facilitating 
everything they need to, sh- you know, rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah. I, I love that quote. I think about it a lot. Um, and that's what I think about when I think about leadership. I think that's a great way to think about leadership. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it's almost like the, the better athletic analogy would be a team sport, right? Like, you know, you can, we can't even imagine a track and field athlete being at an elite level without a coach, much less a football team, right? right. Like you got a football team running out there with right. no coach. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's, and that's 11 chaos. people, that's much, much yeah. less a company with 2,500 people. Right. Right. So, right. um, and I think to your point, you know, on, so leadership and management. So let me give you how I, and we at Strongly Sharp Profits think about leadership versus management. And then I'd love to hear your take on it. Right? Okay. Cause I think that this is a clear delineation that, you know, and, you know, you, in, in business school, we hear it, people give lip service to, um, but I see companies then, then they lump everything together. They don't actually make a delineation. I'm excited. Cause I think I know what you're going to say. Okay, cool. So, uh, so to me, uh, you know, management is about efficiency of a system, right? It's mm-hmm. maximizing the efficiency of a system. And that could be, that could be a human system. That could be a non-human system that could be organic, inorganic, right? right? But I'm going to maximize, uh, components within a system to be as efficient as possible to its its current capacity. Okay. okay. Leadership is about creating new human potential um, by helping someone change the way they think about themselves, the organization, and the world. Right. And that's a uniquely human characteristic, right? I I can take a hydroelectrics dam yep. and I can tweak things and I can update, and I can manage that yes. to make it as efficient as possible, right? Yes. Uh, up to 100%. But I can't lead the dam to to be to have more capacity than its total potential. Right, that's right. Um and so that means that leadership is a a uniquely human construct um and in order to actually lead someone you have to help them change the way they think. Um so that they can believe first and see how they can have new possibilities that they couldn't even envision previously. So to me, that's real leadership um, versus management and leaders do management tasks and leadership tasks. Right. But those are definitely separate and distinct things to me. How does the, how does that definition you know sound? Do you, do you agree? Disagree? I agree in the delineation. What I like at the very end is what you said that leaders do management tasks and leadership tasks, mm-hmm. because we've talked, you and I talked about this earlier. And I think that, um, you you can be the chief engineer at an electrical dam and you could be the most proficient in making that mechanism run. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're the most qualified to lead the company right? Yeah. from a personnel perspective. Yeah. Um, and then when you blend them, it's very easy to overlay too many quanti- quantitative key performance metrics on managers mm-hmm. And that strips them of their ability to provide qualitative quality leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what you see in a lot of the Fortune 500. The company's mm-hmm. so big that most of middle management is managing up and down and they all have a scorecard. And it's, you know, leadership is third to fifth priority right. in some of the best cases. And that I don't know that, that there's any one person to blame or the system to blame. It just seems to be a trend mm-hmm. where it's not. It's not at the forefront. And I love seeing organizations where leadership, like you're, you have a sales force, your job is to lead them. If I ask you about one of your 10 regional sales directors and you can't tell me, you know, 
about them as a person, what motivates them, what their strengths are, what they're working on, right? You know how to diagnose whether a strong leader is working. It's based on how they can, you know, or how they're connecting, what they're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, You can die, you can quickly see who's a strong leader and who's not, but I don't think that that's prioritized as much as it should Mm -hmm. relative to key performance indicators and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, or at least given the amount of time it takes to do it well, I don't know that, that respect is given, which again, makes what you do so valuable. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I agree completely. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, one of my, one of my mantras is, you know, if, so if someone is boiled down to just these key performance medic measures, the quantitative measures, you know, what's their input output, um, all those things, which, I'm not saying they're not important. Like management's important because uh, it, it drives the efficiency of the system. Sure. Um, but you're really treating them like a widget, right? You're treating like yeah, a cog and a wheel. It's like the tail wagging the dog a little bit. Yeah. And so then you're like, and and if if you treat someone like a widget, they're going to act like a widget. That's right. You know? So that's like, why aren't they loyal? Why don't right. they do it extra? It's right. like, there's, because you're not giving them, there's no input to, to treat them like a human being and you're not talking and, and because you're not doing that and you're treating them just like, just like the software program and just like this, you know, uh, the software program or just like a, a mechanical element, right? If you're treating them like a widget, so they're going to act like a widget. Right. Um, don't expect them to go above and beyond. Like, why would they, you know? And so I, I do think that the system as it currently is set up, especially for, you know, publicly traded companies, giant companies. Sure. Because they're driven by that next quarterly profit, right? They're with the shareholders. Yeah, they have that short termism. Yeah, and so I think that it's it's. I do believe though that we're starting to see this shift. You said that earlier. Um, culture. I, I I know, and and maybe that I'm, makes me feel good. Maybe I and, and maybe I'm naive, right? Maybe I'm too optimistic. But I think, go to your grave that way. Yeah, I will. I <laughs> go will, to man. your grave that way because <laughs> you you have to. Um, I think that we're seeing that more and more with you know people where they talk about quiet quitting, right? Or the yeah. Great Recession or yeah. all those other things that we hear are going on in, in the work environment. And what really- uh, How does someone quiet quit for a strong leader? They don't. Right. Exactly. I don't understand that. And 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 if you go too far into that, also what I've noticed in a lot of the, you know, the professional reading or whatever, right. the economist or the leader, whatever like articles and magazines are out there um, is I'm starting to see a- I'm starting to see it split in my mind. I'm starting to see it split. And I think you've got one companies are heading one way where you're starting to see this uh, very divisive split between sort of like labor and leader, right? Yeah. You're seeing all these pushes yeah. to like unionize and you don't respect us. So you don't treat us yeah, the yeah, way. Yeah. And, all stuff. and then it becomes contentious. It becomes yep. now you're, you have infighting inside of an organization. No, I'm, believe me, like, there's definitely places that needs to happen. Um, I'm not like anti-union or something like, I think that there's places that that absolutely needs to happen to protect workers' rights and all the things. But I guess my point is if you had a well-run company, no one would want, no one needs to unionize. Yeah. Right. Or no one, you don't, no one needs to have this Well, management is against us and we need to fight back for our rights. If management is, if you have great leadership inside of a company, those conversations never come up because you don't feel like, you're part of a smaller group inside of this larger organization. Everyone feels like they're part of the same yep. team and everyone feels like they're contributing to their success and they feel like they're getting as much out of, if not more out of, I think in an ideal situation, I've never actually thought about it. I said this and I'm straight riffing on you here, but you got me thinking. <laughs> I thought that's what this yeah, was for. Yeah, right? sure. That is, that yeah. is true. Uh-huh. Is the, um, 
if you really set that up correctly with those two groups that um, they feel they get alignment, then each group, leadership and labor, whoever, right? Leader and, and, and employee, both of them feel like they're, they're, both of them feel like they're getting over. Like the leadership in the company be like, man, these people are working. So we're getting, we're getting way more value out of them than we're paying them in dollars. And yeah. the employees feel like, man, I'm getting way more out of this company than I'm providing. Like if you we, do that right, you should both feel that way. We always just say one plus one equals three. Like mm-hmm. in, in these business deals yeah. that we've done, you know, you want it to work. I have a question for you though, okay? Okay. So with your background in special forces, mm-hmm. right? And we've talked a little bit about how I have some of that in my family. I am curious about um, the screening process and like mm-hmm. search for talent. Because at some, a lot of times I feel like you're throwing stuff, people are throwing stuff at a wall. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards they're asking to be, you know, more than they are, or they're not training them to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's easy to justify the way these top tier military organizations <laughs> just, just whack people out and they take the cream of the crop mm-hmm. and they move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something to be said for knowing what you need mm-hmm. and how to get it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they a lot of companies have that type of onboarding process that's really acutely focused on what they want. Because mm-hmm. you and I have talked about how to source talent mm-hmm. and um, places we would go to look for it. And there seems to be some similar themes there. So, you know, talk, talk to me a bit about that. You think companies could do more to screen for the right personality earlier? And, you know, are, aren't they just stubbing their toe right out of the gate? Yeah, that's a good question. So. You know, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting uh, and I see this from a lot of military leaders that come in over to business, right? And yeah. for me as a business owner, this hit me, man, square in the face hard. Right. Because being in the military and then, you know, especially then in my time in special forces, right? I saw, I, I mean, I had, you know, guys in their late 20s, early 30s on my team that with someone with college degree, someone without, right? Yeah, sure. They were twenty. So I let's say I had twenty six, twenty seven year olds. Sure, that could speak multiple languages. Yeah, they could. They knew uh, customs and tariffs inside and out. I could say, hey, we're going to this country. That they could run it through all those checks. They could run. Uh, they could teach and uh, a group of people in a foreign language to do advanced military tactics. They could lead that stuff. They could fire the gun. Like I mean, I could list the amount of elite things this person could do. Right. Right. And by the way, I would have an intellectual conversation about the ethical di- dilemmas that are happening in our region and the, what the historical context was. Yeah. Right. right. I've seen twenty-seven-year-olds do that. Right. And then you. But see they four- didn't come to you that way. Well, no, no. They, right. And they, that's they the power of what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. You got the right twenty-six or twenty-seven. You, and so you identify the right people and you set up the right process and, then and everything has right. a filter. Right. And um, you know, everything in life is that filter. And then you train them to do the job and, 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 and to put it in the most like basic, uh, you know, military sort of speak, if you will, here's one thing we, we don't, we don't recognize. So when you're in the regular army, not special operations, right. Mm. And you get a private in the infantry, right. Sure. Our jobs, you know, they show up and listen, you know, Hey idiot, your job is to be here on the right time, right place, right uniform. Sure. Don't get arrested. Sure. Don't lose your gun. Like that's your job. That's yeah. it. Right. That's right. That, that's all you're responsible for. Right. That kid had 18 months of training to just show up to do that. Right. Right. So it's really hard in the business world in the sense that um, we don't have all that. We don't have that type of filter system. Right. So I think identifying and, and I think if you have the right culture that is looking for 
the mentality and the mindset and the things you can't train. Yeah. And you got to look for people who are willing to do hard things. You got to people who, um, you know, to me, the definition of maturity is the ability to delay gratification. If you think about it, I agree. Right. So look for people who are able to say, I want this. Um, but I want something else I'm more and I'm willing to suffer it. in the yes, short right. term. And if you're not, if you, if that person, if you find the person who isn't willing to suffer in the short term for a bigger goal, a bigger cause, um, then, you know, that person under stress is going to fail. So there's these little indicators like that, that I think we can, you can do better at looking for the right people and the right fit. But I think from the company side, they set themselves up for failure because most companies haven't defined their own culture. They haven't defined why they exist right. and what their mission and culture is. Because here's the thing is that uh, mission should drive culture. So I get this question a lot in special operations, right? Like I was yeah. a Green Beret in the Army, right? Right. There's all types of special operations out there. Sure. All right. So what makes Green Berets yeah. different than Air Force Rescue Parajumpers or CCTs? Right. And, and people think it's like a hierarchy. Like you just like, they're like, bubble. No, 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 everyone has, that I mean, would make no sense. Right. We all have a different role, you know? Right. So the average age on a Green Beret team is in early 30s when I was on it. Like I showed up as 28-year-old commander, youngest guy on the team. Yeah. Right? Uh, the average age on a SEAL platoon is like 24. Right. Different mission sets, right? Like we're, uh, we're doing small teams. Uh, Insertions. We're doing unconventional warfare, guerrilla warfare. We right. all run a foreign language or regionally aligned. It's this whole, a lot of intelligence work. You know, SEAL teams are primarily just, they're direct action, right? So they're, they're and they need to be super fit. So you need to be younger and, you know, and, you're doing direct action, hostage rescue, um, smash up. Your job is to go off a ship, do a raid, come back to the ship with a 30 something person platoon. We have 12 people and a green beret team would be more like, Hey, there's these groups killing each other and it's disrupting oil. We have no idea why. Right. Go figure it out and tell us. So that's a different mission set. So the culture is way different. And so companies really need to get really clear on what is their mission? Why do they exist? What are they trying to do? And then you can design a culture that optimizes for that. And then you can find the person who fits that culture. Yeah, that makes sense. I've had over 72 jobs, I think. Wow. You know, when I was young, I just mm -hmm. was the, the little entrepreneurial mindset. I've had, besides your traditional interview, I've maybe had like two small tests I've ever had to pass to get a job. Wow. One was a personality test, mm -hmm. which I think everyone should do. Um, but that blows my mind. You yeah. know, I can't imagine running a company without. I'm not saying you have to put, you know, people need to jump fences and carry logs and do all that to work in corporate America, but, yeah. but like how, how are you, why aren't you spending more time on your human capital and defining, making sure they have the raw skill set so that when you pour all these resources, cause we all know the numbers on mm -hmm. how expensive turnover is, mm -hmm. um, like, why aren't you protecting yourself from, from that on your balance sheet? And that, that's something I always scratch my head about because there's tons of resources out there, Yeah, you know? And I think I think it's a it's it shows that lack of uh, leadership that leadership void of people understanding the human dynamic, um, and I see a lot of people who you know when they hire for a job it's about skill set yeah it's, and to me those are features yeah. um, I can train you skill set I think I'm the right person right um, in some cases that 26 year old was a civilian three years before that that's right so um, so I think to your point looking at the human part of it looking at the purpose part of it does your values does your purpose align with what this company's purpose is um, and then investing in them as a human being instead of uh, looking at them like a software with different apps and skill sets I think is key which is why you know with some of the consulting work you're doing with your book always forward um, with your speaking uh, and the space you're in uh, is so important it's obviously we know what drives what drives us here too it's drivers to our profits so um, 
you know, I, I want to thank you for, for coming today. This was awesome. Yeah, I had a blast, man. This was great. Um, I, I, I want you to, uh, we want two things here to wrap up. One, where can people find you sure. and learn more about what you're doing in your book? Sure. So alwaysforwardmemoir.com. Okay. Um, and on that website, right, you can obviously bring me out to speak. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon as well. Um, but you can also register to be an organ donor and, you know, I'm not here to advocate for people being a living organ donor. It's a very personal choice. I know the impact it had on my life and why it worked for me, but, um, you know, postmortem being an organ donor, a small, short story, but, you know, Sally, the, my recipient was on the table, um, and they were about to harvest her veins in the middle of that surgery to rewire it for her vascular system because of how much blood runs through the liver. And I mean, like, like you would picture in Gray's Anatomy, someone ran in the door with some veins and arteries that someone had just donated out of a car accident. And it drastically reduced the risk of her surgery. Um, You know, so I've seen it firsthand. And um, I just urge people to maybe click it's National Organ Donation Month. So think about going to register to do that. That's an awesome message, man. And then, uh, so my final question then is, what do you love most about life? This. I know for sure that it's this, man. The relationship, like eight hours ago, we had no idea who we were. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, I knew that this, you yeah, know, little internet Aaron research, reached right? out yeah. and yeah, I had yeah. this guy named Sean. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're in my life now forever. And if I can ever help you with anything and vice versa, I feel like we can call each other. And uh, that makes the two of us stronger. And because what we're trying to do is put, you know, positivity in the world, um, you know, help people reach their goals. This is, this is what I'm all about. These are the types of things that I will leave my family for, right? I'll travel for a day or two. Yeah. Hey, one plus one equals three, right? That's right, dude. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate it so much. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and share the Leadership After Hours podcast with your network. The world is crying out for leaders of character and people deserve to be led well. We all need to build businesses that develop people and profit. If you know a great leader that needs to be on the podcast, Please reach out to us and our podcast producer, Aaron, will get back to them. It's Aaron, E-R-I-N at S-L-S-P dot biz. For a better tomorrow, build a new leader today.